Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Your saltwater guide, Captain Dave Hansen, with another phenomenal podcast for you. Today, we have a very, very special guest coming to us all the way from Fiji, live in Fiji. So we're going to bring that special guest in in just a minute. You can see Marley up there on right above my head. I got to give him his little snack to get the show started. So you can see him eating his snack there. And uh, gang, today is Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance Friday. We always talk about Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance on Fridays. And today's no different. We'll show you the website, grab the QR code there. If you want a bucket list trip up to Alaska or down into the Baja, check out Larry. But today we have a really special guest, going to talk all about what he's doing over in Fiji. Come on in, Jody. Let's get this show started, buddy. Thank you for hey, joining Dave, us. how are you? I'm phenomenal, buddy. I'm so excited to have you. You yeah. are living. Very, very happy to be on. You are definitely living my dream over there. That looks so fun. <laughs> I'm trying to. Trying to. So, guys, Jody's been around for a very long time. Grew up down fishing in San Diego. So, Jody, why don't you tell everybody just a little bit of history about where you came from, and then we'll get into where you are today. But you had a pretty bitching career before you took off to Fiji, so... How'd you get into the sport fishing thing? You know, my mom used to take me down to a place called Shelter Island Pier, which everyone knows is in Point Loma, back when it was wooden, back when buddy dogs were sold there and all that. And I think I was, must have been uh, like eight or nine years old, and I'd see these big white boats coming by every day, big giant white boats, and these high school kids would be railing up their rods against the rail and tying things up and talking about these half-day boats and this and that. And, and I never knew what was going on, what was the big hype about that. And uh, finally, my mom bought me a ticket on a boat called the Daily Double, when I was nine years old, and I uh, went out and uh, what was the guy's name? Billy Gilchrist was the captain. Billy Gilchrist. And I started going out then, and uh, I went out once, and I helped them out on deck. You know, I picked up a scrub brush, and being young, I just kind of just went around and started scrubbing. And the guy's like, well, why don't you scrub the boat, and then you can come out and fishing for free, you know? And, and, and that was it. It dawned from there. And, <laughs> and every weekend, my mom dropped me off, and I, I'd stay down there for the weekend, and, and I'd be on the daily double for a little bit, and then I... Uh, graduated to the Malahini and that's kind of that where my roots were was in the Malahini for a long time because that was my adolescent years from from 11 to like 15 you know doing the three-quarter day trips on the Malahini and uh, I owe most of that to my mom breaking her back to get me down there to drop me off and stuff like that and and as I got older from the Malahini I started going on the overnight boats like the Prowler the Mustang the El Dorado those boats would be coming down from LA and um I just started kind of bouncing around from boat to boat, getting different aspects, you know, of, uh, of how things were ran and how they were run differently. And I picked up a lot from that, learning from boat to boat. Usually, you know, when you hear somebody going from boat to boat, it's like, why is this guy bouncing around so much? But I wanted to learn as much as I could from different guys, different captains and how they did it. And, um, and I did. I learned a lot growing up. And then uh, when I turned 18, I got my license. And this guy, Mark Ornos, picked me up from the dock. I was walking up the dock and he grabbed me and he asked me if I had my license. I said, yeah. And he's like, you need to come work for me. Okay. <laughs> he had just come down from uh, Oceanside on the new Tortuga. Right. And um, I, I didn't know who he was. And someone's like, you need, you need to be with that guy. You need to work for that guy. And it's, uh, I think that was Ken Frank that told me that. Because I was working for Ken on the Outer Limits. And I told him I was going to go work for Mark. And he said, you need to go with him. Not that he didn't want to get rid of me, but he just thought that that would be a nice fit for me. And, and it was. I learned a lot from Mark. And I bought my first boat from Mark. And uh, I bought my first boat when I was 24. And that was the new Tortuga that turned into the Voyager. And then I helped a guy. Most guys know his name is Greg Gowett. I helped him get into a boat called the Pride. It was the Orion at the time. And I was a silent partner on that. And I had that for a year with him. And then he kind of took off and running from that. And uh, I ended up selling the Voyager eight years ago and got in the, the Apollo, which most people know me for. And I was in the Apollo for eight years, and then um, now I'm here. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Greg's a phenomenal captain and he yes, has, he has the Aztec now and he's a great guy, really down to earth human. It'd be good to have him on the podcast one day, but man, you shot through your career really fast here. Let's slow down. Let's back up a little bit. So when you were, <laughs> when you were on the Malahini, you guys were fishing the Coronados almost every day, right? Wasn't that? What yeah, was? that was back. Hal Hubert was running the boat. What a great way to grow up. What a great way to cut your teeth fishing the Coronados because back in those days, the yellowtail fishing down there at the Coronados was pretty epic, pretty phenomenal style fishing. I mean, we didn't yeah, have it was. People don't understand, and you and I talked about this yesterday. We didn't have this bluefin thing. This bluefin thing is an off is is not natural. It's not real. It's it's like a lot of people are hanging their hat on this, and it's gonna be very tragic when it goes away. It's gonna be a rude awakening for a lot of people when this stuff doesn't show up one year, and it's gonna be like what am I going to fly my flyer on? What am I going to troll my Mad Mac on? You know, what am I going to do with my 130 and my 80 wides? Yeah, it's just going to be a really rude awakening for a lot of people when this stuff doesn't show up and they got to resource back to actually fishing areas. And, and it's just, uh, it's, it's created a whole different kind of fisherman. That's but go, sure. Let's go back to the Malahini days, going down to fish the Coronados. It was a big deal. Everybody was super excited to get on the boat, go down there, and that Barracuda bite that was going on. These are things that people don't even want to – you tell them, hey, the Barracuda are biting. People are like, yeah, okay, let me know when they're not biting, and I'll come on out. Back in the day, though, man, you fishing the iron on the Barracuda while you waited for that yellowtail to flash you somewhere – that was pretty yeah, cool. was you know, great. starting in on the beach there usually in the springtime. Everybody that that yellowtail would come up the beach and you'd be mixed in with that barracuda and sand bass and stuff, and you hit a ball of yellowtail, and and then slowly would move its way over to the islands, and you're sitting up on the anchor, and like you said, fishing barracuda and bass on the iron, waiting for the getting flash or a swim through to come by. Those are fond memories I have sitting on the anchor on that boat, fifty nine people. <laughs> right. But that's what it was all about. That kind of taught you how to fish because if you catch fish with 59 people, you can pretty much, it's easy to catch fish with six people. Yeah, it is. You know, I think some of the finest fishermen, some of the best fishermen I know came off half-day boats. Because it's gnarly fishing with 100 people every day. Yeah. That Malahini had such a phenomenal history. I mean, it's still running today and Bill does a great job with it. You know, he's still running that boat, still catching fish. He owns the boat now. He's doing a phenomenal yeah, job. Yeah, so much history. Uh, fish, think about when you were young and getting, you're on the half-day boat, and then all of a sudden you get a chance to go work on that boat and fish the Coronados. As a kid, growing up, I remember when I got off the half-day boat, the three-quarter boat, and we started fishing San Clemente Island out right. of Dana Point. It's like you finally felt like you had made it. Isn't that what it was like? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it kept graduating up and graduating up. And from the Malahini, these, the Mustang came down with uh, Danny Cadota had it. Danny Cadota. Right next to us. And I jumped right on over to that thing and started doing, and that opened up my overnight career. Danny Cadota. He's doing a little show every once in a while with uh, Phil Freeman on, nine, on uh, Phil's show. It's pretty cool to listen to Danny. He has a lot I of history. I think I saw some of that, yeah. And then, I, he, that, and then Mike Redland took that thing over shortly after I got on there. Okay. Yeah, we used to always tell Danny, you need a milk crate to stand up to see out the window when you're docking the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I was maybe 13 and saw eye to eye to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So fun. So then you're on the Malahini, and then is that when you met Mark Ornos? No, I didn't meet Mark Ornos until I was 18, until I was over at Seaforth on the Outer Limits. Oh, okay. All right. Working for Ken Frankie. Ken Frankie, gang, if you don't know who Ken is, Ken is the president of the Sport Fishing Association of California. He worked very, very hard hand-in-hand with my father for a very long time. What Ken does on a daily basis, we can't even comprehend. You guys have no idea all the all the fights he's in. And I know that you know, Jody, for running that Apollo and how hard it is just to get to go to fish in the areas that the Apollo got to fish in. I mean, we could talk yeah. about that forever. It's, it is amazing the work that he does and CCA does and everybody working together hand in hand so that we all get to go fishing here in Southern California. And I know yeah. as we... 
the hands on. As we get deeper into this, we'll, we're going to get into the reason why you're over there and why you got doing what you're doing, because it takes a giant toll on the, on the family life and the whole thing. When you're running that every single day, oh, three days, four days, hit the dock, go grocery shopping, fold the beds and go right back out again. Yes, yeah, it does. It's not good on the family situation and your children when you get to see them for an hour every four days or every three days. It's annoying. Yeah, you know, they grow up not really knowing who their dad is. Knowing that the dad goes fishing. Dad has a big boat, but they really don't know, you know. And uh, that's why that's a major, major reason why I step back. It's, it's a gnarly right. way to grow up. It's a, I mean, you and I, we grew up in the industry and all we ever wanted to do was do what we ended up doing. And then we stood back and we went, oh my gosh, this is gnarly. And we want, we got a wife, we got some kids, we don't get to see them. It's a, yeah. it's a, I mean, I don't want to paint a negative picture, but it is a gnarly life being a sport boat captain. It is. It is. It's not an easy route by any means. By any means. It's all glory in your early 20s and stuff, of course. You, you, you want to do it. It's all guts and glory. It's fishing is the best thing. And then 10 years go by and you wake up and you have kids and a wife. And you're like, you know what? I'm not even home. And then you're, you know, you're, your compass kind of steers off to another direction than what it was 20 years ago or 15 years ago. You want to be home more. At least that's the way it is for me. Oh, it was that way for me. I mean, you didn't know. Nobody really knows. I never talk about it, but I actually walked away from my love, my passion, the industry that I love. And I went and worked in the trade show industry so that I could raise my boys so I could be there every night. So it wouldn't be like the way not I'm not taking anything away from my father. My father is phenomenal man, built a hell of a business, great person, but he was never there. When I was a kid, he was never there because he was out there building that industry, building that business. Yeah. It's not, you know, as the owner of the Apollo, if you're not there, things are yeah. that's the way Jody wants them done. Yeah, that's I know that firsthand, you know, and you can try to be there as much as you can. But if you're not there 90 percent of the time, it just it starts crumbling around you. Nobody does what you do the way you do it, no matter if it's their best way or their Whatever way, it's your way, your money. Your money's on that boat. It's your money. Right, right. Absolutely. It's your money. So you worked, you went on to go click along, and then you got with Ornos, and you guys were doing two-day trip on that Voyager. It was the old new Tortuga. You yeah. Two-day trips, three-day trips. One in two days. One in two okay. days. All right. It and was called he, the Miss L. Tortuga. Well, before that, it was the Miss L, and my buddy Gary Vandergrip brought it, brought it down to Yeah, Canada. and had a big lightning bolt on the side. I remember sanding the side of the house and seeing a big old lightning bolt through the sand. And then I saw the, the old um, the um, jackpot scale still said Miss L on it. Yeah, they brought that down. To, Gary Vandergrip was a good friend of my dad's, and he brought that down. Before that, he had a boat called the Valencia 3, and then... Mark was running the old Tortuga out of Oceanside. Before that, when I met Mark, he was running the Electra for Dick Heldren. And yeah, I, was I had a lot of stories about that. Yeah, he's a hell of a fisherman, a hell of a human, really good human, just a really yeah. good guy. And then, yes. so that's when you got to start to kind of get into that little bit of that overnight long range type of thing. Yeah, really got dove into that because I was the second on the boat. So I really, and I used to just sit there. And he's one of the best fishermen, I, I got to say, out is Mark Arnos. He's got to be one of the best fishermen on the West Coast, you know, and really, really good on the sonar. So I used to just sit there. I, I would drive all night and he would wake up in the morning and I'd just sit on the bunk and I'd shut my mouth and I'd just watch him. I'd just watch him, you know, and I'd just watch him work the sonar. And sometimes he'd look back and go, did you see that? And I, no, no, you didn't see that. Jesus, smoking cigarette, sit there and look at it again. <laughs> it's like, what is he looking at? And finally, after a while, it just starts clicking. It starts clicking. Oh yeah, yep, I did see that. Yep, yep. You know, and a lot because learned. Nothing sucks more than when he turns around and says, "You just see that, and you didn't see it." And you're like, "Shit, I got to pay more attention here." Yeah, I'm like, what, "What are you talking about? I just see a what, bunch of colors there, you know, like green." What did I just miss there? And then he's in a circle and they're coming and fish are attacking the boat and you're i want to do that yeah yeah 
and it was it was like a Westmark 220, a little tiny box thing about that big, you know. It was, and it was on a TV screen, not a, not a flat screen, a TV screen, like a little box TV that we had it hooked up to. And it, this is it was amazing that we that we were able to see fish on that thing because it only ranged out to 250 feet. Yeah, I remember that's the first one we got. Brockman got us one off an old Saner we got when they were getting done with them and upgrading, we got the old West Mars off the Saners. And we were like, oh. we got one on the seahorse. I remember. And it made it, it was like, this isn't even fair. You would see those little scattered marks and you'd throw a chum line. And all of a sudden that albacore would just attack the I boat. I was going to say that albacore, you'd see one or two on the outside and make a turn. And then they start yelling at you. <laughs> and then we were like, man, we never, we, we used to troll to find them. And then all of a sudden we figured out we could find them with a sonar. Oh my gosh. You don't even have to troll anymore. It's like, don't even put the feathers out. I know what I'm doing. I got this. Remember? Yeah. There's some right over there. There's some right over there. <laughs> it was a crazy, crazy time in the world. So then you came off of with Arnos and then where did you go? I stayed on with Arnos until I bought the, and then I you bought the boat, boat from him. Pardon? And then you bought the boat from Mark. Then I bought the boat from Mark because he bought the Pacific Voyager out of, uh, what was it? It was up in uh, Ventura. It was the Sundown. Right. Was it the Sundown? Yeah, I think it was named the Sundown. And then he bought that boat. So I started running the Voyager full time. And then after a couple of years, I bought it. I saved up some money and bought it from him. And then had and that what boat was that? Like, were you running it out of Seaforth? Yeah. Right yeah, there? it stayed exactly where it was. I, nice. Nothing. The transition was smooth. He, you know, there was enough clients. All most of the clients that were on the Voyager stayed, and half of them went with Mark, and then more came in, and it was a pretty smooth transition. We, we're always busy. And well, then, that's uh, something. For us, just a second, that's something we need to talk about for a minute too. Is that that's the big scary thing? Is when you buy a boat like that, are you going to get to run it out of that landing? Because the move. That's like a business killer if you have to move the operation to another landing. So that was pretty cool that Mark let you go right there and stay at Seaforth. Yeah, it was parked right next to him. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so then you're running the boat with his charter groups on it while they're watching him get the new boat ready, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was pretty Funny nice of Mark. That was pretty damn nice of Mark. So then you made a huge jump from there into the Apollo because the Apollo, what a machine that thing was. That started yeah. off as a joke because I used to, you know, I, you know, these code groups, you're not supposed to work together, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And me and JJ would find ourselves down the beach a little bit away from people and whatnot, and we'd start working together. And I remember calling him a few times. We had some pretty good bluefin bites, and we called him in a few times, and then he'd come in. He'd be standing on the upper deck. He goes, check it this out. This could be yours. This all could be yours, you know? And it was a joke, a joke. And I remember I, I took off to Europe. I was traveling or something, just doing something. And I came back, and I was in a San Diego Marine Exchange. And, and somebody had talked about that they had just bought the Apollo or they're buying the Apollo. And I called JJ, and I was like, well, what would you do, man? You sold my boat out from under me? Just joking with him. <laughs> and he goes, meet me at Denny's tomorrow at 8. <laughs> and that was it. I had to sit down with him and we, we figured out how I could get into the Apollo. And it happened that fast. And he's like, you need to sell your boat and this and that, or you can be on work equity and this. And But uh, I found a buyer for my boat within a couple of weeks and then walked over some money to JJ. And that was it. I stepped in the galley and told him to get off my boat. <laughs> and what year was that? Now, that must have been 2015. 2014, 2015. It was a while ago, eight years ago. Right when the cycle started. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's timing, right? There's some timing. That's the year of the Wahoo in San Diego at the Coronados. That's the yeah, year. I remember the legend got a bunch of those one day and everything went to fire. Everyone went crazy. Yeah, when they we heard that he had some Wahoo, we were like, you got to, no, there's no way. And then the pictures started flooding in, and then everybody started trolling marauders everywhere. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. And it, we've had them all the way up to the Huntington, the, the the rigs at Huntington Beach. They were biting at the rigs. It was the craziest, stupidest. Did year you ever. really? You didn't hear about? Yeah, the no. They've been on the fourteen mile bank. They the guys that were working on the rigs off of Huntington were calling the other guys that knew fishermen, and were like. There's these 
there's wahoos swimming around the rigs. We see them at night. We're like, no, you're not. They took pictures. We're like, there's wahoo at the rigs. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> get there in gray light. You get there in gray light. Bing, bing, bing. And then you remember that tsunami warning in 2015? And yes, I do. Had to leave the harbor. The Helena. Yes, we all had to leave the harbor because it was going to come and it was going to rip the docks off. And so we're all setting three, four miles off the beach. And Calvin Cooper on the Helena, he started dragging around marauders. And he got a double that morning on the Wahoo, three miles out of Dana Point. On, that, on an old little wooden boat, the Helena, pretty wild. And then the real fun caught a blue marlin that year. And that boat built 1947, that thing. Caught a blue marlin. The thing was like half the length of the boat. What an incredible year to get into the Apollo, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, it was. Gold. It was good. gold. The Apollo treated me good for a long time. It was. I had a love-hate relationship with that boat because of all the permits and stuff I needed to get for Guadalupe and all this stuff and to keep it going. Right. We were, we were doing our Cedros trips in the spring, jumping right into our short trips. And then in the fall, we were doing our, our Guadalupe trips. And then from Guadalupe, we were going straight to PV. It, it never ended. It, was, it never, never ended. Yeah, and that you got some phenomenal stories. We're going to get into that in just a second. Gang, we're going to break off with Jody for just a second. Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance is our sponsor on Fridays. We I can't talk about Larry and the boys there more than I do because I just love what he's doing. The opportunity to go up to Alaska with a group of guys that go fishing all the time and go up there and feel that camaraderie. He's got the lodge there. He's got the smokehouse there now. So many opportunities. Just if you've ever thought about going to Alaska, it's an incredible bucket list type of trip. And then he's got his he's got his other deal going on down in uh, La Vincent. Or excuse me, what is that? Where? Or where's uh, Lawrence Quigley? La, La Bocana. La Bocana. Thank you. Yeah, and he's got the other lodge going on down there. You can go get black sea bass. You get broomtail grouper. It's so many different things you can do with what's going on, with what Larry has going on. You want to grab that QR code. You want to get involved. There's a huge discount involved for being a member of your saltwater guide or watching the podcast. When you hit that QR code, it takes you to Larry's website. You get Larry's phone number. You can call him up, say, hey, I was watching you. Dave Hansen told me to let you know. Your saltwater guide, Larry will take care of you. You want to see what he's got going on, gang. It's incredible. So make sure you check out Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance. Thanks for checking them out, gang. Grab that QR code. Elliot's going to pull it down right now. If you want to grab it, grab it. All right, Jody. So now you're on the Apollo. Yeah. Everything's different. Big boat. Way more range. Yeah. Way more comfortability. Just an absolute fish killing machine i mean jj had a phenomenal career on there i mean a lot of us just would like watch that boat just kill fish year after year and i i use the word kill a lot and i'm not supposed i know that's a bad word nowadays but hey you can't eat them if you don't kill them mm -hmm. it's hard so that boat had a great history and then you got in on that how cool with that what a bitch yeah, I, I hadn't even stepped on it before <laughs> you um, hadn't on it before I'd never even stepped on it. And I agreed to buy it. That's how bad I wanted that thing. <laughs> I had a picture of that boat when I was 15. Off of one of those little box cameras. Off a right. box camera, I took a picture of that boat because I was in love with it so much when I was 15 years old. Just an absolute gorgeous sport fishing boat. Talk about yeah. that. Because there's a lot of guys that don't know. A lot of people listening. What? Tell everybody about the boat, how big, the dimensions, the bunk room. The it's actually 59 foot. Everyone thinks this is a 65 footer. It's, it's a 59 by 21 and a half. So it's okay. got a five, uh, one, two, five staterooms and then a general birthing area. When you go downstairs, either side, there's two staircases that go down. It's a general birthing area. And then it, it comes, it used into a hallway to the front. And then you got staterooms in there with five bunks, two bunks, five bunks like that. Um, Big spacious galley. Big, it's 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 just built. It's a Bill Pool boat, you know. He made what do you make? Two of those kind. That one and the and the Pacific Star right now is that dive boat. Oh, the Bold Contender. I think that's all in the same. But I think he only made two of those that size. So and it, does, it doesn't it look way bigger? And it fishes way bigger than 
Yeah, it's wide. It's got that flared out build pool bow on it. You know, it rides good, but it's, I always thought it was a 65 footer. It's a 59.8 footer. And, and I think the reason for that being is it could, um, once you get into that 65 foot realm, you get the, the whole Coast Guard inspection things get a whole different thing. You know, you get that boat's grandfathered into a whole lot of things as, uh, as far as rules and regulations go like that because it's under that 65 foot realm. And then you guys, how many days were you running? How many trips? Three day, five day, two day? What were you doing? Uh, it was usually two day trips in the summertime. Our San Diego season was two day trips into um, mid September. And then we started our five and a half days. And we kept our five and a half days to Guadalupe until about uh, December, the beginning of December. And then we take a short break and get that boat down to PV. And we run that boat from January almost to June in PV, doing three oh, days. Weren't you doing a little bit of stuff with Bob too for a little bit coming out of Mag Bay? Uh, I did that the first year. Yeah, okay. we did that the first year. That was that before was the PV. That was the first year I had the boat. We went to Mag Bay and did some some trips out of there. Um, I, I it was okay for us, you know. It was I was new, learning everything down that way and getting the logistics and stuff like that. But um, PV was a lot better fit for us because we could tie the boat up to the dock and go up to Costco and get our stuff. Right. That shopping there at Constitution's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's challenging. It's got its challenges for sure. <laughs> kind of tough to get your groceries and then get them, put them all on a ponga and go out to the boat on the anchor. <laughs> we actually, we tied up to the, to the bait dock. We tied up to the uh, sardine dock. Oh what God. a mistake that was, man. Those rats and those cockroaches crawl right up the lines. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, they saw that big fresh pretty boat that looked like food all over oh that. Oh my gosh. It was just like I said, it was it was a stepping stone. It was a learning thing for me. Um I was wondering why Carrie was always out on the anchor and never came in. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys don't know what we're talking about, I made all those videos last year up in Lopez Mateos fishing up there. You'll see that little concrete pier. You'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see the little town of Lopez Mateos. That's where Jody was running out of. It's, it's not really a vacation destination kind of spot, especially if you're going to bring them onto a beautiful boat like the Apollo. They come through that town like, Jody, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they kind of, they can, they kind of get to a get to the boat with like a beshoveled look on their face. <laughs> what are we? What are we doing? It's not like people. <laughs> and then we get them in our hands, and it's okay. Everything's all better within a couple hours. A couple of cervezas and some food, and we're on our way. Absolutely, that area is really cool there. So then you're over in PV the next year. How bitching is that? Tr running out there fishing the Trace Marias. Yeah, that was all new to us, too. I was like, oh, let's go down here and check this out. And as soon as we got there, man, those guys were, were there. They had known the boat, of course, and they knew me. And they called me on the radio. We're driving by Albanco. Hey, Jody, welcome, this and that, you know, and let's do this right and blah, blah, blah. And, and it was a very, it was more welcoming than I thought it would be. You know, there was a little pushback here and there, but overall, it's fine. And you can see we've been down there for, and we're down there for seven years, and now we got another boat going there. And Danny had no problem with you coming in there and catching his fish? <laughs> no, we actually work close with him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to piss off Danny. He's like the, he's like the mob moss down there, boy. He's a happy. He's a <laughs> already got the, the brand. Those are branded. Those are his fish. You're like, okay, can I have one, Danny? Yeah, I have one. Yeah, he's a very, very nice guy. Danny, he, he, he's helped us out a lot over the years. You know, he'll do anything to help us out. He's, just, he's very, very welcoming and helpful to us. And once um, you got him on your side, you're pretty much golden in town there, baby. He's, he has saved our butts more than once. That's good to know because he's the, he is a great human. And then you guys have rigged up. He's rigged up. You're rigged up with Akuma. I'm rigged up with Akuma. John and the boys at Akuma were super excited that you were going to be on the show today. Oh, what nice. Yeah, they've treated, they've treated us well. They've treated me well for so many years, man. John's such a good um, good dude. That Makaira product is pretty badass real, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. I remember it, it came out a year before I bought the Apollo. JJ was telling me about it. He goes, these things stand up to these these Talicas hand in hand. I was like, no way. There's no way, you know. And I got my hands on these Makairas, and I was like, these are our reels here. 
and they are a beautiful machine. And like I say, that big power handle and you you got that fish at the end, you click it into low gear and you don't even know that the line is coming on the reel. The gearing system in they, that reel is incredible. They are geared perfect. They are Oh my gosh. And now they're making all those smaller reels that just make those smaller fish so much easier to catch. And the castability of those reels, like you said, the gearings and the bearings are just, it just, it, it compares to anything that's out there. It yeah, just right spot on with them. It stands right next to anything that's out there. So, how long were you in PV? How many years? Five, six? Seven now. Seven, Seven. years. Now you have a house there, right? I have a house there. Two of my children have been born there. I got two daughters that were born in PV. Okay. Um, I've kind of made myself a little home down there. We love it. And then you went and did something crazy this year. You went and bought another. We're going to talk about Fiji. That's the second half of the show. But you bought another boat now. So now you're going to split yourself even more. You're going to. Part of you is going to be in Fiji, and then part of you is going to be in PV. Yeah, because they're polar, they're polar opposite, polar opposite season. So it's okay. Why not give myself another headache and come into PV again and get another boat? So we purchased another boat that's on the uh, East Coast right now. And this one's a sixty-two footer, and uh, oh, we're keeping wow. it at twelve passengers. Nice. That'll well, be. Cool. We're not putting it out there too much right now. Um, we're, you know, we're not advertising as much as we ship up it's like it's it's a word of mouth thing and uh, we're booked up pretty good for our first year already as much as we want to be you know with the with the apollo people and some other people jumping on and it, it, it's very flattering you know because i barely gave any pictures of this boat to these people and they just jump on there you know what as long as you're on or jay's on we're on and it was the same thing with with fiji you know it's very flattering to have such a following like that that people come out here and fly halfway around the world and not even see the boat so this Fiji thing, let's get over there. Let's do this because that's bucket list, top of the list. Been a dream of mine since I was a little kid. And my really good friend, Dwayne Diego, really brought it out front because he's got that social media presence that, well, now, yeah, yeah. I, I, now I'm there, but at the time I wasn't there. And I used to watch him fishing over there and I just go, oh my gosh, because he took that mentality and the same thing that you took and I'm not trying to say we're better than anybody else, but we're different. The San Diego sport fishing industry, there's nothing like it on the planet Earth. The live bait industry. The, yeah, I know there isn't. The sonar. I mean, when you show up with a sonar, most of these guys that are fishing today, that are fishing on a six-pack or a four-pack, they don't have a sonar. You show up with a sonar and 100 scoops of bait, <laughs> we can pretty much make anything happen. You take that mentality over there. Talk about that for a little while, because that's an incredible deal you got going. You and I yeah. talked about it yesterday. We threw a bait tank on our boat, and, and nobody has one over here. I had the, I had the local, um, there's a guy named Nick Tansley, a really talented surfboard shaper over here that works with, with um, fiberglass. And I, I gave, threw him this idea and said, hey, I showed him pictures of all these bait tanks on the sport boats. I'm like, I need a smaller version of this, right, like this. And he looked at it, he'd never seen one before. He goes, how does it work, you know? How do we do that? What are these? What are hand wells? What are shoots? This and that. And I kind of walked him through it and we drew one, one up and he built it for me and we threw it right on the back of the boat. It's just like anything you'd see on a Southern California boat, but it's on the boat out here. And um, there's sardines out here if you want them. There's, uh, there's things called salalas that we fish usually. It's like a little Spanish. Spanish. There's the boat. Check out that boat, you guys. Look at that thing. Look at that machine. I like the rail all the way around. There's sport boat for you right there. Look at the rail. Yeah, there it is. There, yeah, we put a mahogany rail. We just kind of uh, added it to the back, and we put a little riser on the front on that bow rail, and we just added mahogany all the way around. So it's like a catamaran? It is a catamaran, yes. Oh, wow. So stability like there it is. Tomorrow. You can see it there. Look at that water. Holy gosh. The water's beautiful there, huh? That water is incredible. And that's one of the outer islands that we fish right there. We, uh, one of the crew members is uh, it's part of that village. So we take people in there and they can see the village life and stuff. And sometimes we get lobsters from them. And it's, it's a very big thing to be in with villages out here. You got to ask permission to fish areas. And so we wow. make sure that it's on the up and up with them. So then when you start running around with a bait tank full of bait and some guys that know how to throw the iron, 
it's kind of unstoppable, I bet. It's kind of like you're showing people fishing that they've never seen over there, right? Yeah, you know, you would think more people would want to fish the bait, but Dave, they really, they come over here and they, they got their whole array of poppers and surface irons that they want to fish. You, you think you'd butt hook a bait or drop a loop one down or whatnot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're slow pitching, they're casting their jigs off the bow and it's that, like at 95% of our fishing is done with, with jigs. And I wow. get it. It's fun to fish jigs and all that. And you, catch, you can catch just as much. The, the, the slow pitch over here is really popular. Right. But the fishing that surface iron and skipping it across the surface and watching all oh, those reef yeah. fish come off the reefs got to be the most incredible that thing. That is the best because the water is so clear. You know, you're fishing, you're fishing 100 pound top shot on these things, you know, no less than 80, 80 to 100 pound top shot with your spectrum. You cast That's right off the reef in about two feet of water and you just wind the thing right off the reef. And you just, you sometimes you don't even see it. It's so quick. You know, you just see your jig disappear. And that, Elliot just threw up a picture of that giant trabali. That's kind of like the fish, right? That's what everybody wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, the Tokyo Rose right there. That's what everyone comes over. They want a GT. Those they things are like hotel And they that one, I believe, in the picture was caught on a surface iron. That one was caught on a, on a plug or a stick bait. Those things come attacking the jigs just in little wolf packs or a whole school? What's it like? No, usually so you'll, you only catch a few in an area. You know, you won't see a big giant school of them. We haven't, unless we, I mean, we haven't, but there's areas that we go that they, they like, they're always around, you know, but you never see like four or five of them coming up chasing the thing. And it's weird, they'll come up and, and they'll hammer the thing a couple times before they take it. Sometimes you gotta slow down and stop your wine real quick and let them eat it. It's not like it comes up and wolfs the thing. You'll see it, you know, you go, oh, you'll see this big black thing come up and just kind of knock your jig around a minute. And then like on the second or third round, you know, you just kind of slow your wine down just a little bit, you know, and maybe give it a kick and then the thing will wolf it. And then it's oh, all on. How exciting. But then all the other fish that I've seen you post pictures of, and I've seen Dwayne post pictures of like, what are the, what are those red fish right there? What do we got? Pargo? Oh, red bass. Yeah. Those things are called red bass over here. Those are, those are like calico bass on steroids here. And uh, oh, uh, the yeah. coral trout there, coral trout, pargo. That's on slow pitch jigging right there, that pitcher. Both those guys dropped down some slow pitch jigs and got bit simultaneously. And what's that funny looking fish? The one to the right is a coral trout. No, no, no. The one now, Ellie just changed the picture. Oh. It should come up oh, that's here. a long nose emperor. Those things bite the surface iron good. Really? Look at yes. That. You would think that thing's from the bottom, but no, they're, they're in like 10 feet of water. You know, you can catch them in five feet of water. They, they bite the surface iron good. Most of those big ones like that we caught or have been on like on Tadier ones. Okay. Now what do we got here? I mean, there's so many fish. I bet you can't even name them all, huh? <laughs> I told you that yesterday. I got to go revert to my book sometimes. Red bass. Those things are they're hard because some of them have cigatera. So most of those things go back in the water. The, the, the okay. locals will take them and eat them, but uh, we like to throw them back because you just never know. It's like gambling with that, and you don't want to get that cigatera. Okay, that kind of looks like a kind of a tuna-looking fish. What is that? Those are um, brain fart. No, no, those are um, dog tooth tuna. Sorry, dog tooth. I'm delayed over here when I get the picture. So yeah, those are right. dog tooth. Those are really sought after as well. Good eating? Yes, very good eating. Very good Those, eating. Those are actually smaller ones. They get they get cow size. They get 200 pound size. Really? Wow. Yes. <laughs> and they bite the surface iron too? Uh, sometimes. A lot of times you get those things down rigging and you drop down. They're like bluefin. You fish them at nighttime and you drop them down 200 feet, 300 feet. All right. So like that's the, the closest fall. thing I can compare it to, you know, because we, we fish those things primarily at night, just at, at daybreak or right when the sun goes down and then at night, of course. And that is a coral trout. Nice. Bottom fish. Oh, yeah. Very good to eat. That's another one of those emperors, right? Let me see. Yep. Yep. That's a nice that jig. Ryan in that picture, he had a trip of a lifetime. He caught three dog tooth in, in one day. 
Some people don't oh, come out and never catch one. You got three in one day and he's catching emperors like that. Oh, that's yours truly. <laughs> You're not that's happy about best. that thing. Those are probably my favorite fish to try to catch is those things because those things will tear you apart in the reef. You, they'll tear you apart. You're, what is that, a popper? That's a what stick bait from a local guy, oh, yeah. Balura Lures. He shapes them out here. He's from Fiji. All right. And that's a... Just insane. So you were telling me yesterday, and my people that are watching don't have any idea, you said it's the second biggest reef in the world right there? Yeah, the Astroglobe Reef around Kandabu Island is, is the second biggest reef behind the Great Barrier Reef. And it's okay and to fish there, right? That's primarily where we fish, yeah. And do you anchor? How do you do it? What do you what do you We do about? anchor at night. We anchor at night sometimes, but we never we anchor in the gaps and stuff or inside there just to stay safe. But there's some areas where we anchor in like the night fish. Um, but, I think but we do. We do. But primarily during the day we're driving the boat. We're kind of just um idling along the reef while everybody casts in there. We kind of walk the reefs. You know, we'll, we'll start at one end and kind of walk all the way around up the island and go slowly and slowly and end up somewhere where I think we'll have good fishing at night. We've had some phenomenal fishing at night before. And there's a oh, couple I areas I can fish for that. Those are double, that's a double in the red right double there. Trouble. This is double trouble. Oh my God. <laughs> Finally. Ooh. You can catch the small ones, Joe. I just want quality. Let's <laughs> go back in that cone. <laughs> Yeah. So you were telling me something interesting yesterday when I asked you about anchoring up on the edge of the reef and fishing, and you were like, you can't. And I'm like, why? And you go, because their sharks are like sea lions. Yeah, you get sharked up. You start cutting that bait and dropping down drop loops and stuff like that. Once those reef sharks, those black tips get on you and stuff like that, they're on you. And they start eating everything. You hook something coming up, it's, you think a sea lion's bad. Those reef sharks, they, they're, they're pretty vicious. They'll take almost everything. You got to leave the area. So usually what, what do you get about, like you're near a spot like that, and you're catching that kind of fish right there. You're catching those. How long can you have till they get on you? Um, we, when we're fishing like that, you see like that, we're just going from spot to spot. We're not on the anchor here, so we're just kind of moving. But once you get on the anchor, sometimes they get on you right away. Sometimes you can have all night, and in the morning they get on you. But they always seem to find you for sure. It's just, it's, it just depends on where you're at. If they're around, it seems like they can hear the boat, the vibration, or anything like that. And they come running. They're like a lunch truck, just like you said, like the sea lions. So, yeah, you hear that anchor going overboard. So, mostly, mo what was that last video was pretty spectacular watching you catch the fish on the iron. When, um, you're driving around there. Are you guys trolling at all? Or are you just... I, just yeah, no, we're trolling. We're trolling Rapalas. We get a lot of uh, wahoo, random wahoo, and there's a thing called a walu. It's like a, a Spanish mackerel Okay. That, that we aim for, and you get random Dorado strikes and stuff like that. We're always trolling. We always put the jigs in the water, especially when we're on the outside reef uh, by the Kandabu Island. There's a lot of wahoo out that way that kind of find us when we're going from spot to spot. All right, and then something we didn't see a picture of, but you and I and Elliot were talking before we went live today. You have that yellowfin tuna with the big Allisons, the big that you said kind of missed you guys this year, kind of swam by you, didn't stop. But oh, they call it a yellowfin tuna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah those I know, we didn't see those this year. <laughs> now, where are you catching those in compared to the reef? Right out, right out by my backyard, right here. There, there's, there's certain channels in between the islands that they like to go, deep water channels, and stuff. And, and at years, there's some years where you can just walk on those things. You know, you, you, you grab the cheapest popper you got, the cheapest lure you got, this and that, and you use that because it's gonna get a bite. You could throw a Coors Light can out with a hook in it and get bit. Um, this year was different. We had a couple shots on tuna, but nothing like it has in the past years. And you know what? What you're saying right now is something that everybody needs to understand. We kind of talked about it in the beginning of the show. The Coronado Island, the Yellowtail, the Barracuda, the Sandbass. Something that the kids today don't understand it. They would have saw that that yellowfin didn't show up this year in your backyard. So there would be a mad panic and it was time to close everything. It's all 
as you and I both know, it's cyclical. Everything's a cycle. Yes. This blue fin that we have in Southern California, it's a cycle. And the cycle, the switch could get turned off tomorrow morning and it could be gone. And we don't know why and nobody knows. But I think we need to talk about that a little bit and set the so that people understand we got to stop closing fisheries because it's not like it was yesterday. So don't panic, gang, and don't close it because take a deep breath, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. There's a reason why you're in Fiji. There's a reason why you're in PV. There's a reason why you're not in Sandy. I mean, you had a very successful operation. but Thank you. But you can see it's making it really, really hard day in and day out to fish in California. They're just, they're on a mission to make it so we can't fish. Yeah, man, there's so much, there's just bureaucracy and politics to it. And just, it's, it takes the fun out of it for sure. It takes the fun out of it. And I know you're part of this and you were when you were in town here. CCA is the only real voice we have at the table. And everybody in Southern California needs to understand that Elliot's just flashing the QR code up there. Okay. We don't want to lose fishing in California. We don't want our kids and our grandkids to not be able to fish here. We don't want to have to fly to Fiji to fish with Jody, or we don't want to have to fly to PV to fish with Jody. We want to be able to fish in our backyard. And seems like everybody's on a mission to close fishing in California. I don't know why. I don't know what the big deal is about people going outside and having fun, but boy, oh boy, you'd think that that is the worst yeah. thing. Yeah, they're against it. I don't know. They're really trying to shut it down. Every time you turn around. So, gang, if you got a chance, jump on the CCA California site there. Donate a little bit of money because that's what it's going to take to keep fishing open. So, Jody, we go over to or we go over to uh, Fiji. We want to go fishing with you. What do you got to offer? For the people that are watching the bucket list trip to Fiji, you got yeah, we're doing mostly three and a half and four and a half day trips, you know, and I, and I keep it just like the Puerto Vallarta trips. We we provide everything: food, tackle, um, airport transfer, rods, real everything. You just you come with your backpack with your sunscreen and your sunglasses, and we pick you up from the airport, and that's it. So set it and forget it. We take care of all the rest. Um, most of the wives come over with them and we, we suggest the certain hotels that we like them to go to or that are close to the boat. You know, the boat's literally five minutes from the airport. So you land and we pick you up. Most of the time it's me that's picking you up. And I just take you right down to the boat and you settle in. And usually we leave early. You know, we're, we're set to leave at 6 p.m., but a lot of times we leave at like 11 or whatnot because I know everybody's anxious to get on the water. And we set the jigs in right away and we start fishing. So it, it, everything's included in your trip out to Fiji. You don't have to bring anything if you don't want. You can just bring a tank top and some some board shorts, and jump on the boat. And you got a bedroom, you got a bed, and you got a shower, and we're ready to it's go. Full showers, bathrooms, two staterooms. One of them's got three bunks in it. One of them's got four bunks in it. We're gonna knock that down. Even I was gonna do that this week. We were taking eight passengers, but now we're gonna knock it down to six for a little bit more comfort. Um, this and both those bunks room, those bunks are found in two different staterooms up towards the bow. It's got a full galley. It's got a full galley like you'd find on a sport boat. We, we bring a chef with us. We have two crew members. So you, it's full service. So how, um, let's say we get there. You pick us up at the airport. We get your car. We drive to the boat. We all jump on the boat. You pick all of us up together. We get on the boat. How far do we got to run before we get to start fishing? We fish right away. As soon as we leave that jetty. As soon as we cross outside the jetty, we set the jigs back. There's a couple of reefs on the way out, but I like to use that first day as a travel day to get out to an outer island because just like everywhere else, if you're fishing close to a big city or where there's a big population, it, the fishing can be tough. It can be really tough sometimes. So we like to use that first whole day to get out to an outer island. We show up at that outer island about three in the morning and we start oh, fishing in the dark. Beautiful. So we're traveling um, but we're trolling, you know, we're trolling. And, and if we see something, we stop, you know, we, we always usually catch Dorado or, or, or Wallow or something like that along those lines on the way out. Usually there's tuna right outside Nomotu. We pass right by an island called Nomotu that we were talking about earlier. And there's a, um, an area just below there called the shipping lane that is and on, on regular years. It's full of elephant, but this year is a little different. But how wonderful is that to get picked up at the airport by the captain of the boat you're going to go fishing on? And you're talking the whole time, I'm sure, because I've, I've already know that you're like oh, me. Yeah. We're talking fishing the whole time. 
We're going to be talking. I, I'm just excited. Like, I'm as excited as they are that they're coming. Because these are people that I recognize from San Diego that I fished with, you know, grew up in. And they've been with me forever. And I'm, I'm so excited to see them walk out with their rod tubes and stuff to come see us. I, I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. It's so exciting to me to have them. And so I could show them Fiji and, and just a different realm of fishing outside of what they know. But it's not outside of what they know because they're fishing kind of a different style or the same style that they fish in San Diego. Just catching who doesn't like to come out and catch something you have no idea what it is. That you've never seen before in your life. Sometimes. Yes, exactly. You don't know what you're going to come up with. You know, you're going to an area where you're going to slow pitch a jig and you don't know what's going to come up. You just know it's going to get bit. I think that would be my favorite part. Get on the boat and try to catch stuff that Jody has to go look up in the book. <laughs> yeah, and I, I got no shame. There's more than one time I have to go out and do that thing. That thing is right by my plotter. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, gang. That would be my bucket list thing. Hey, we already caught a yellowfin tuna. We can catch those at home. I want to catch stuff that we've never seen before in our life. And please, Name that fish, Jody. Name yeah, that. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 awesome too because like I, I, we do some night fishing, and that's when it can really get hectic. Those things come up in the light in the light, and that's when you you wind one in, and there's like four or five chasing the thing, and then all of a sudden the walu come through, and you start hanging those things, and you catch a dog tooth off the bow. It's it's gonna be really exciting. Oh my gosh, that's the whole thing now. Something we didn't talk about, and. Dwayne posted a picture of it. It was his bucket list fish, that golden, what was that thing? That big golden grouper, golden. Oh, that was an emperor too. That was a golden emperor. I think he got that in Panama, didn't he? Oh, I don't know where. I thought he caught it in Fiji when he was. No, no, that was down in Panama. They were doing oh. something for the salty crew or something. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry about that. I just saw that big gold fish, and I was like, what in the hell is that thing? I thought he was with Oh, you. I'm sorry. No, that was in Australia. It was it, it was an emperor, a okay. ruby-lipped emperor or something like that. That was a beautiful fish, but there's uh, so many opportunities. Now, what about swimming? Do, do we do dive? Is there any diving? Can we go snorkeling? Is there any of that? Oh, all, all you want. All you want. You can just pick a cove. There is a ton of stuff to look at for, for swimming and snorkeling. I mean, it's... That's what Fiji's known for, for its diving and for how beautiful the reefs are. And you got no problem with the guys slipping in the water for a couple hours, going swimming? No, nope, nope. I'd be kind of, I'd be upset if they didn't. Oh, Come okay. All have to look at the reef for a little bit. And then what's the water temperature? What's the air temperature like? I would call the water 80 degrees year round, 80 to 85. Okay. Humidity? <laughs> Oof, heavy. Heavy. You can feel the weight on your shoulders sometimes. It, it's, okay. it's, it'll hit you when you get off the airport. It'll hit you like a, like a ton of bricks sometimes, you know, during the rainy season. It's, it's weird because the rainy season is some of the best fishing time here because of the weather. In between the rains, it, there's zero wind. Right now, we're getting our westerlies, and it can get very breezy. Very breezy from, from what summertime month is over there, over here. August, September, you know, all that. It's breezy. But uh, rainy season here starts in September. So it goes October, November, December, January, February, like almost half the year. But um, fishing-wise, it, it can be fun fishing during the rainy season because the, the winds can be down for four or five days at a time, and we like to take advantage of that time. A lot of times during um, the westerlies, like right now, we get landlocked because it's blowing 30 knots. Okay. So when's the best time that we would want to start looking at booking a trip? And do you have anything available? Are you already all booked up or is there stuff people can uh, I would check. Uh, look at October, November-ish area. October, November, December. That's before it gets a little too hot. You know, summertime in Fiji is summertime in Fiji. It can get hot. We do have AC on the boat, though, to cool you down. Right. But And so then you if got... you try to do January, February, March, then you... It'd be hard pressed because I'm in Mexico then doing the PV stuff. But that's your summertime is. Uh, oh yeah, October, February. October, November, December, January, February. That's all summertime here. Okay, all right, yeah. People need to know you're on the other side of the world, so. Yep, polar opposites. Everything. And we space our trips out. You know, we 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 have three days between them because it could be raining and whatnot. So we tell our groups when they book with us, go listen. We're gonna keep these. So we may stay out an extra day or we may be delayed a day because of rain or whatnot. So we try to spread them out so we're not back to back. That way, we, due, due to weather, we can wait an extra day. And we had to do that a few times 
where we stayed at the dock for two days one time because it was raining so bad. And then and it opened up and had beautiful weather. We just kind of pushed the, the trip back. And then the easy airline from San Diego. San Diego, LA has nightly flights. LAX has nightly flights to Fiji that leave at, at 10, and they're all direct flights. They're about eight and a half, nine hours. And uh, if you can sleep on a plane, you're good to go because they, they don't leave till about 10.45 at night in LA. And you land in Fiji at 5.45 in the morning. And Jody picks us up at the airport. And we're on there I am with my Suka shirt on. <laughs> nice. How, that, what a great way to wake up on the airplane. Stepping off the plane, grabbing your rod out of, and jumping in Jody's car. Do we need to bring rods and reels? You got everything? What's going on? We got on? them all. We got them all. We have, sometimes like people like to bring their favorite reels, but we, we're outfitted pretty good with rods and stuff. By uh, Phoenix gives us a lot of stuff out this way. So that's something that Jody was just saying. You don't want to bring your rods anymore, gang. Those days are gone. Traveling with the rod now is just like buying another ticket. It costs same, almost the same amount as it does to almost. buy a ticket. Bring your rod. It's silly. It's ridiculous. So don't bring your rods. You don't need to bring them. Bring your favorite reel. Like if you got a reel that feels right when you cast, like Jody is saying, you're going to be casting 100 times a day. Easy. Easy. Easy over 100 I'd, I'd say closer to four or 500 cast if you're on it like, you're casting all day yeah you and me i most guys the hundreds that's good for them their arms are going to fall <laughs> off. you and i we got the op opportunity you don't know which which little shadow of that reef that fish is coming out you're standing up there on the back oh, yeah i'm right next to you like right next to you. i taught the i taught the local guys how to drive the boat pretty quickly <laughs> how to walk. They knew, they knew, you know, they knew from being out here, but it's kind of different with a bigger boat, but they, they got a crash course in it because I was up on the bow casting that jig most of the time, right next to everybody. And yeah, and you're probably telling them, look at, I can cast this far. Get me that close. Get me that yeah, close. Exactly. I'm like, I'm like an airplane guy like this. A lot of times <laughs> I'll have my rod in one hand. I'll just go like this, you know, I'll just say a little bit over here, a little, little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> And let me tell you, gang, when you go on a boat where the captain is as fired up about the fishing as you are, you know you're on the right boat. You know you're on the right boat. My good friend Craig the Junkie, he was like handsome. When I, when I fish with Jody, it's just like fishing with you. Every single fish is the bitchinest fish he's ever hooked in his life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I am. I just think it's just the coolest thing. I mean, because you work so hard. I mean, look what everybody does to try to come catch these fish. You know, you from, from the minute you go to the tackle store to, to buying your tackle, the line, this and that, booking airplanes, going on a boat, picking this and that. Like, you look at how much goes in to catching that one fish. You know, oh. it's just like, just don't take advantage of that moment because look at all everybody does to catch that one fish. So every fish to me is, is a gift because look at how hard we work at it. Oh, yeah. That's how I am. Every time I get a bite, calico bass, barracuda, bonita, yellowtail, white sea bass, halp, whatever it is, it's the greatest fish I've ever hooked in my life. Yeah, you, I... you prepped for that fish years ago. You just don't know it in your head yet. You know, then you realize afterwards. But you've been prepping for that fish for years. You know, it's just it's, it's so electric when it's that surface iron and you get to watch the whole thing take place right in front of you. Oh, my God. There's a video I sent you of our crew member. He was in a red shirt, but I don't think you can use it because it's pretty PG. But you, you can see the excitement. That was the first GT that he had ever seen. Um, yeah. He came out the, verbiage, the verbiage was pretty good. It would be just like you or me. It would be the same thing. We can't play it because we don't want to get banned. But he is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you can, yeah. you can still hear the excitement in his voice, you know, and that thing came back and hit him three times before he hooked it. Oh my gosh. And then game on, hang on. Cause yeah. that thing wants to get back to that reef so bad. He's so fired up. So oh we're all, you can't even believe it. We already did an hour. We're, we're an really? hour. Yep. It's an hour, nice. buddy. So we, Elliot has to go he's he's got to go produce some stuff for other people i need you to give everybody because we got a huge audience give everybody a way to find you how do they get a hold of you phone you number can find me at sukasportfishing.com or i mean sukasportfishing on instagram seems like instagram and facebook is the new way most people can find me um m.jody is my personal one m.jody and instagram or sukasportfishing 
either on Facebook or on uh, Instagram would be the easiest way to get a hold of me. Gang, let's thank Jody very much for being with us today. He's very busy. He just got back into town yesterday, pretty much. I mean, he hit the ground running. It's jungle fever over there. He was showing me all the things that are going on. It's the middle of the winter. Thank you for taking an hour away from your family, and I appreciate it very, very much. Anytime, it's, Dave, anytime, man. it's so nice to sit down and talk with you. I can't believe an hour went by so fast. That's because we're just two little chatty Cathy's. <laughs> Talking about our favorite thing in the whole world, fishing, man. Yep, fishing and yep. kids. Fishing you got to love it. So thank you very much, Jody. Have a great one. We're going to circle back around and we're going to do this again in six, seven months. We'll do it again and we'll talk and see what you've been doing and where you've been at. Have a great time. Good luck putting that boat together. Everybody around the world watching, listening on all the podcasts. Thank you all so much. I hope you enjoyed the show. Leave all those comments. Let me know. Jody and I will be checking the comments. We'll both be answering all your questions, whatever you want to know. Jody will be checking. He'll be answering your questions. Leave it on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever. We're live everywhere. Jody, thank you so, so much. Thanks, Dave. Right. See ya. Thank you.